from suppressing your immune system to changing the behavior of people that are, are interacting with their environment. There's a range of potential confounding variables. And, and it's not, we don't need to go there right now, but the FDA absolutely, and, and my colleagues in vaccinology have long known that one of the great risks, one of the things that scares us most as vaccinologists is vaccine-enhanced disease. And there's a long history of vaccine-enhanced disease examples over time. Respiratory syncytial virus is the one that's often cited by my fellow vaccinologists, but there's many others. This is why we have to be careful in developing new vaccines. It's one example of why we have to be so careful and we have to be cautious about rolling them out and that we do the science. But in the case of vaccine-enhanced disease with coronavirus vaccines, this is a known complication. It's one of the reasons why I advised my group not to pursue vaccines when we got the call from Wuhan in, in January of 2020. Vaccine-enhanced diseases with coronaviruses has long been a problem. It has compromised every prior coronavirus vaccine development effort, it is including the veterinary ones. It's been overcome twice with licensed veterinary vaccines, and both of those are mucosal vaccines. So in short, this is a known problem. Many of us that are down in the trenches have been carefully monitoring for whether or not there are data emerging that suggests this problem might be occurring. And now we seem to be seeing clinical data that's consistent with that. But as Dr. Rish, I'm sure will share, we have to be cautious because there are multiple confounding variables. Well, no, actually, the Public Health UK has actually published a statement about this in their week 42 uh, weekly report that showed that people who've had COVID and then get vaccinated have lower levels of anti-nucleocapsid uh, antibodies. And this means, and since the vaccines don't address the nucleocapsid antigens, they only address the spike, it means that they're doing something that's damaging the immune response in a more general way than just what they do with the spike. And this is empirical data that Public Health UK has published. So we know that this is happening. It's not a theoretical issue about all of the niceties of, of laboratory biology and virology of things that could happen. It's a real thing that's been really observed by their testing. So just, just real quick, this, by the way, is the kind of discussion that ought to be occurring within these advisory panels. Again, it's difficult for the general public to really understand, because I don't know exactly. Senator, what we, we, we have raised this in front of advisory panels. <laughs> we've, I've raised it in front of the Israeli Ministry of Health. But uh, we've, we've, submitted paper, we've submitted written documents to CDC and FDA and all these issues. And, and all this, this, this stuff about negative but the, efficacy and, and, with- But they've been ignored. But yeah. David, I want to point out that the CDC and academic medical centers will say, and they will go to a home base, that they will say that the vaccines are associated with a reduction in hospitalization. And this will come up. The CDC in the last few days said there's five more papers showing the vaccines, even with Omicron, are associated with the reduction in hospitalization. But it's only in U.S. hospitals, not in South Africa, not right. in Germany, not in Denmark, not in the U.K., and not in Israel. Americans should be asking the question, why are the vaccines only working against hospitalization, but they don't work against binary occurrence of the respiratory illness or reduced spread, and they don't reduce mortality, but why do they only reduce hospitalization? And by the way, they reduce hospitalization in most studies in the United States by 85%. How does that happen? That is basically academic fraud. And the reason why it is, is because these hospitalizations are not adjudicated. They're not telling us why the patients are hospitalized. And we've had multiple officials come out and tell us that 40 to 60% of people coming to the hospital who test positive for COVID are not there for COVID. Yeah. So we have a trumped up set of numbers. And to make matters worse, our CDC has advised consistently that the unvaccinated get lots of testing and the vaccinated actually refrain from testing. 
So the combination of not adjudicating hospitalizations and this asymmetric testing is creating a fraudulent data uh, scheme in order to make the claim that the vaccinations are associated with reductions in hospitalizations when in fact they're not. And that's the reason why Israel is loaded with fully vaccinated people in the hospital with COVID-19, and so is Germany, and so is the United Kingdom, and elsewhere in the United States. So let me see Dr. Senator Johnson. I was talking to Dr. Corey about this, who has some experience in hospitals. You were talking to me about the information system in hospitals as relates to vaccinated status. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, so... You know, this constant refrain that Dr. McCullough just pointed out to is that everyone in the hospitals is unvaccinated. Um, I believe that is manipulated data, and it's done, again, for the same purpose that I keep talking about. They want to vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. Every vaccine brings profits. Now, how do they do that? In this country, when you log in to the most popular uh, electronic health record, which is probably epic, and I've been in numbers of hospitals throughout the pandemic, there's only two statuses a patient can have. They can either be vaccinated or they can be unknown. It, there is no category of unvaccinated. It's unknown. And it is my hypothesis. I cannot prove this. I believe that if you've been vaccinated within that hospital or hospital system, that vaccination record appears. If you went to a Walgreens or a Rite Aid or some private practice, I think it's highly likely it doesn't appear that you're vaccinated. I believe that they are artificially, with great purpose, they are hiding the fact that many people in American hospitals are vaccinated. Because Dr. McCullough just talked about why in the United States is the data here completely discordant from other countries and other health systems, which are revealing the underlying granular public health data in, in a transparent fashion. Yeah, yeah I, have the, I have the answer here. Here's a paper. Here's a paper. I'm gonna read the title of the paper. The Food and Drug Administration Biologics, Biologics, Biologics Effectiveness effectiveness and safety initiative facilitates detection of vaccine administration from unstructured data in medical records through natural language processing. What this is, this is a paper from FDA that just came out in the last week or so. They're saying they, they've gone through and they've said that there's at least, at least a 16% non-capture of people who were vaccinated but are being called unvaccinated. That, that is exactly what you're saying. FDA are admitting it. Here's the paper. It's right over here. This is on the top of my list. What, what, what are the consequences of that? That means that all the data where they they sort of, they've got vaccinated here and unvaccinated here. You've got 16% who are wrong in the wrong place. That means you've got a 32% imbalance is swinging the wrong way. FDA have just admitted that. I want to ask Peter right a question. All the guys, I want to make Peter, one more point. Yeah, go ahead. That yeah. I am absolutely exhausted about hearing about vaccinated and unvaccinated. There's only one category you need to care about. It's untreated versus treated. Stop with the vaccinations. Okay. On the so, 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 okay, because we mentioned hospitals, I can get this back on track because we, we really jumped ahead to vaccines and tr we got hours to talk about vaccine, vaccine, vaccine efficacy, safety, all type of thing. I want to polish off hospital care because I think it's extremely important. It's, it's certainly, it's certainly, as I'm hearing from people, some of those heart-wrenching stories I'm hearing where a loved one's in the hospital and they're, the, the family's begging the hospital to do more, to, trying to save the person's life. And they're just being told, now you're, you know, your loved one, there's not much hope. You know, get ready for the worst. And they just won't do anything. So I want to start the question out. What freedoms do you give up when you get admitted to the hospital? And is this a new phenomenon, or has this always been true? Because it seems like when you hear, you know, Dr. Corey's well aware of this because he's involved in the lawsuits of families taking hospitals to court to, administer you know, one of the unnameable drugs and 
Even under court order, the hospitals won't do it. And, and the people just die. You know, I am the champion. I am the Sending somebody from a manufacturer, uh, somebody from Minnesota down to, I guess it was Dr. Verone. Let's hear as, a, as an ethicist about, about right patients. Physicians have always appropriately been granted discretionary latitude to exercise their own medical judgment. There are our treatment recommendations from medical societies, from CDC, from all kinds of different sources uh, that we can take into account when treating our patients. But every patient is a new textbook. Every patient is a unique human being that has unique factors that only we and the patient. Is somebody going to be looking over my shoulder? asking me why I've prescribed fluvoxamine for this indication rather than that indication. I prescribe it for depression, no problem. Are you giving this to treat COVID? Why There's do that have annoyed physicians for years, but the kind of hamstringing of physicians in terms of doing what we believe to be the right and as the agent of a social program or a state program or any and let's leave the pharmaceutical company there, after 